We'll hear argument now on number 96-738, Mario Salinas versus the United States. Mr. Enriquez. May it please the Court. This case involves the interpretation of the RICO statute and the federal theft, bribery, and embezzlement statute. Concerning the federal bribery statute, this case presents the issue of whether this prosecution in federal court of state officials is within the scope of the statute even though it does not imp- the conduct complained of does not impinge upon, um, upon, affect, or divert federal or even state or even any local funds whatsoever. Concerning the RICO statute, this case presents the issue of what are the elements of a RICO conspiracy and how that should be charged to a jury. Because of the nature of the prosecution in this case, state officials being cried for primarily state law violations in federal court, it raises great issues concerning federalism and the federalization of state crimes. As to the federal bribery statute, it is our position that the statute itself does not reach as far as a prosecution in this case. Of course, the the funds which funded the bribery did not involve any state, federal, or local funds, but more importantly, no federal funds, no local funds, no state funds whatsoever were diverted. 18 U.S.C. Section 666 contemplates the kind of transaction where, for example, money is embezzled from the government, where there is a theft of government property, or in the bribery context where government funds are diverted as a result of the bribe. And what I mean by this, for example, is where money is, for example, paid to a government official and then a a bid is awarded or a contract is given or a lease is awarded, or a grant is made, or a job is given, something It's clear that SNAFTA would apply in those cases, but are you suggesting there's no federal interest in how federal prisoners are treated when they're uh, housed in state facilities? Not at all, Your Honor. I am saying that there, I, I do recognize that there is a federal interest in how the prisoners are treated, and, and I think that could be vindicated probably in a properly worded statute that is directed to that. But this statute is not directed to that. Additionally, if I may point out, the government's interest uh, is, is probably satisfied uh, if, for example, it makes sure that the grant that it's giving or, or the federal funds that, that it is awarding uh, are to an organization that, for example, shares its views, shares its views or its policies. But uh, uh, our, our inquiry really we, we think probably that Congress is the one to decide whether the government's interest is satisfied. So I don't think there's any separate inquiry. If, if the statute covers this, then uh, the government's interest uh, would be satisfied by an application of the statute, I take it. Well, yes, it would be, uh, uh, Justice Rehnquist, Mr. Chief Justice. Uh, it would be, but it's our position that the purpose of this statute is a protection of property statute. That's what this statute is directed at. That's the focus of it. That is what the government is is trying to take care of. Why, why, why is this statute? I gather the government gave $860 or $850,000 and about 915000 a year to house 100 federal prisoners, up to 100. Yes, Your Honor. That's about 9000 or $10,000 a prisoner. Yes, Justice Breyer. To create a certain kind of a room, a cell. Right. And now that room or cell was misused. So why doesn't it affect 
the exactly the, the very very expenditure that the federal government made. We'll give you a th- we'll give you for this prisoner ten thousand dollars to create a certain kind of cell that is to be used in a certain kind of way. And now this your client took a bribe to use it in a different way. So why does that not directly affect the federal expenditure that was at issue? Well, because in in the trial court level. Uh, the judge faced the issue of whether this conduct in this case, the, the conjugal visits or the contact visits, were, were illegal. And the jury was not asked to find whether that was improper conduct uh, in this situation. And uh, what they were asked were whether bribes were paid for contact visits. Uh, the, the purpose of the statute, as we see it, is a protection of property statute. We see it from, from the internal structure. I'm, I'm that, sorry, I didn't, I didn't quite grasp the, the answer to your question. Is, it, is there a doubt, is it disputed, that conjugal visits are unauthorized for, for federal prisoners housed in this jail? Yes, yes ma'am. The, so why did, would they have to be put to the jury? That's a given, right? No, no ma'am. The, the, the judge, in instructing the jury, said that the question of whether there were conjugal visits or contact visits, and that was disputed uh, in the evidence, was not the issue. The question was, was there payment for these visits, whatever their nature may have been. But why would there have been a need for the bribe or to bribe if the conjugal visits were lawful? I think it's because it was a policy of the sheriff's department not to allow conjugal visits. And, and of course, the sheriff indicated that the visits that occurred were not conjugal conjugal visits, although they were uh, uh, very liberal as far as the number of contact visits that were allowed. He denied that conjugal visits occurred. Wouldn't there also be a federal interest in in, uh, uh, not wanting its its, Uh, contract jails uh, to be used for bribery, even if, in fact, the bribe war gets a very bad deal. Uh, Yes, I I think there is. So if that's the case, then what difference does it make whether, in fact, these visits were, in fact, lawful or not lawful? Well, because this statute is directed to the protection of property. That is the the structure of the statute. That is the history of the statute. For example, this statute is not limited to bribery. It is. It also deals with theft of government property. It deals with embezzlement of government funds, and and it's talking about something, something of value, something monetary, something that can be measured, being taken away as a result or being given out, the government largesse being given out as a result of the bribe given to a government official. Well, suppose that suppose occur. the jail official charged with purchasing the food for the prisoner is taking a, a bribe and a kickback and siphons off uh, $10,000 a month, and as a result, the prisoners get much worse food. Yes. Is that covered by the statute? Yes, it is covered by that statute, because then there is, is something that was taken from the federal funds uh, or from the state no, funds. The, no, the these local. are state funds. These are state, it just is in the federal facility. Yes, sir. It, it is, uh, Justice Kennedy, it is covered by this statute because the statute, in my reading of it, says not only are we protecting federal funds, but state, we're going to protect your funds. We're going to protect your property. We're going to protect you from bribery. So yes, from the plain reading of the statute, it does cover that situation. Suppose that a federal government gives money for a museum or for a dam, and a state official 
improperly says to the public, I'll charge you to use the dam that keeps the money, or I'll only let you use the dam if you bribe me. Mm-hmm. Is that covered by the statute? I think it would be uh, probably not covered by the statute because nothing was taken from uh, the federal government or the state government or the local government. The, there was no uh, uh, taking of funds from these entities, and so I don't think it would be covered by statute. And I don't think this statute is in co- intended to cover all of those situations. For example, from the legislative history it, and from the reading of the statute, it makes it clear that not all prohibited transactions are covered, even if the agency well, receives... That, that, that's a bit tautological, to say that not all prohibited transactions are covered. Yes. Uh, where, where in the statute do you find the language that would uh, make it not applicable, say, to Justice Breyer's question? Uh, I find it in, in the bribery portion of the statute that says that in order for it to be a violation, there has to be uh, it has to involve a transaction, business transaction or series of transactions of government involving more than $5,000. That $5,000 figure is something that is carried through throughout the statute, not only in the bribery provisions, but also in the theft and embezzlement provisions. So you say the amount of the bribe would have to be $5,000? No, Your Honor, I do not. Under the terms of the statute, the amount of the bribe can be any amount. Then what does the $5,000 refer to? It refers to the value to the federal government or the state government or local government of what was taken away from them, similar to the embezzlement and theft provisions that say if, if money is taken from the federal government embezzled and it's $5,000, then it's a violation under the statute. But you don't tie it into the text of this provision, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Enriquez. That, 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 that's what troubles me. Um, why not? Uh, I, I find it difficult to, to, to see that, uh, that there's any business transaction or series of transactions involved here. What, what is the business? You, you, but you've conceded that point, haven't you? I, I don't. I don't. Business, the I, business. I think that's, that's our point, Your Honor, that, that well, you these. You put it that way in your brief. Uh, I, I, I wish you had focused on the, uh, on the text, in connection with any business transaction or series of transactions. Uh, that does seem to. Uh, to call to mind that there have been a deal. Uh, uh, a transaction doesn't, I wouldn't call assigning someone to a cell a transaction. I, I wouldn't either. And, and even or a business. That, that's right. I, I don't see it that way, Your Honor. Uh, we feel, uh, Justice Scalia, that the statute applies when, for example, more appropriately, uh, let's say someone comes to an official who has uh, the power to disburse uh, federal funds or, or federal uh, largesse, and, and they pay him something, and then he gives a contract. He gives the contract, or he gives uh, a bid, gives the business, uh, or the grant, or, or, the or grant things or of that nature. Yeah. Oh, why isn't that? a transaction the housing of federal prisoners under the contract with the government? Uh, it's in connection with the agreement to house federal prisoners. I think that's, there's a possibility of that reading, but I think when you look, Justice O'Connor, at the structure of the statute that talks about the other parts, embezzlement and theft of property, they're talking about taking well, it, uh, taking we're looking it from at the government. B, somebody who corruptly solicits or demands for the benefit of any person, that could be for the benefit of Beltran, uh, or agrees to accept anything of value from any person, and he agreed to accept money from Beltran, 
intending to be influenced or rewarded, which he was, in connection with a transaction of the government or agency, the transaction being the housing of federal prisoners pursuant to the contract. I mean, I could read it and it seemed to fit. Am I missing something? I guess our position, uh, Justice O'Connor, is that uh, the, the only transaction there was a transaction between the Marshal's Office and the County of Hidalgo to establish uh, this agreement. And, and I don't think that unless it be under some kind of third-party beneficiary theory or some other kind of, of theory that that would bring uh, It isn't that complicated. The jail agreed to house the federal prisoners. This petitioner worked at the jail, and he agreed to take money to allow contact visits. That's right. But it, it didn't have anything to do uh, with, for example, whether he should be in the jail or not. That was something that was strictly the marshal's, U.S. Marshal's decision. He's the one that decides how many people, uh, federal prisoners, are going to be in that jail or whether they're going to be housed in that jail well, or another. the reason jail. the government wants a statute like this is to avoid the unseemliness of giving large sums of federal money for services to the federal government that are being carried out in a corrupt fashion by the entity and the employees charged with uh, conducting it. Yes, ma'am. And, and uh, uh, Justice O'Connor, I don't think that, that that's the basis for this particular statute. The basis for this statute is to protect property, to avoid funds leaving well, the... But the language of B is broader than that. I mean, A talks about property. B doesn't. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, I mean, we, we look at the language of the statute. Yes, and, and I think we also look at the, at the history of the statute, the legislative history, because it is unclear. Convince my colleague Justice Scalia of that. <laughs> <laughs> I will try. Uh, if I could, uh, another indication. Just ask this. I, I, uh, I guess I didn't read it the same way Justice O'Connor did. I thought the transaction was a conjugal visit and that that had a value of over $5,000. Isn't that what the court below uh, relied on, the that's conjugal what, visit? Not, that's what both courts below relied not, on. Is it not correct that it, the transaction term is broader than business, because there's a comma between business and transaction, so presumably it applies to any connection with any business or any non-business transaction? Yes, sir, but then... Uh, this is surely a non-business transaction. Justice Stevens, yes, but then you would have a situation where, within the bribery context, uh, there's a portion of the bribery statute that says that the bribe can be of any value. Uh, yeah, but the, but the transaction has to have value more than 5000 They said the visit was worth more than 5000 using market value in the, in the relevant market area. Well, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Enriquez, you, yes. you would call allowing somebody a conjugal visit in exchange for a bribe a transaction. But that's not what they said no. the transaction here. That's but they correct. called a transaction was allowing the conjugal visit. And that does not seem to be a common uh, way in which to use the word transaction. And, and I think transaction and, and, and usually mean a deal between two people. And transaction. I, yes, sir. And, and the statute seems to be stretching that definition to fit this uh, set See, of circumstances. What does the legislative history say? Legislative Specifically history. on the point. Yes, Your Honor. The legislative. As you're reading it, as you're reading it. Yes. It's the, like a commercial bribery statute, and uh, that's it. 
when they have a transaction in the government, they're awarding contracts or whatever it is, that's what you look to. The opposite in that will immunize right. any misuse of government property. Right. If, if what we're after is a bribe to obtain misuse of government property, this doesn't count. Right? That's correct. Okay. Yes. Now, there's something legislative history is going to support that. There's something in the legislative history that, uh, that talks in terms of bribery which influences federal funds. Additionally, another indication that this is his purpose is illustrated by reference to what is in essence what, what I consider the, compa- the companion statute to 666, which is 18 U.S.C. Section 201, which is also a bribery statute, and which it can be said was the impetus for the creation of Section 666. And Section 201 is referred to in the legislative history. Section 666 was enacted because, in interpreting Section 201, many courts had given a narrow definition to agents of government or who was acting on behalf of the government to come within the scope of that bribery statute. However, this court interpreted Section 201 in in the case of Dixon versus United States and stated, uh, quote, the regulation and oversight of the funds is aimed precisely at the harm that occurred here, diversion of federal money to an authorized purposes. Diversion of federal money to our uh, When it says it's aimed precisely, that, that doesn't mean it's only aimed. Uh, that, that apparently is the intent of this statute. I see it as a protection of well, property how about statute. the title? It says theft or bribery concerning programs receiving federal money. This is a program receiving federal money, yes, and sir. it's bribery. It just fits like a glove if you read B. Well, it, 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 it does, Your Honor, if we ignore the structure, I think, of the statute in its entirety, and we ignore the fact that concerning the bribery, what amount... Then if you ignore the literal language and the title, you have an argument. Is that it? No, no. Additionally, within the bribery, the bribery provisions itself, it has two elements in there. What is the amount of the bribe? It can be any amount. And then... What does it have to deal with? It has to deal with a transaction involving $5,000 or more. And, and that is something that is carried out throughout the terms of the statute, not only in this bribery provision, but in the theft and also in the embezzlement provisions. May it please the Court. Concerning RICO, it's our position that in order to be found guilty of a RICO conspiracy, the government has to prove that the defendant either committed two predicate acts or agreed to commit two predicate acts. We believe this is so, first of all, because it's a natural reading of the RICO substantive, which states that the essence of the violation is to conduct or participate through a pattern of racketeering. That is the performance of two predicate acts. It doesn't speak in terms of joining a conspiracy or simply joining an enterprise. Uh, indeed, the indictment in this case read in that fashion. It alleges that the defendant conspired to conduct or participate. It says nothing about conspired to join an enterprise. Uh, even the case law cited by the government indicates that in reading RICO substantive and the RICO conspiracy statutes together, that that's the natural reading, conspire to conduct or participate, not simply to conspire to join. Well, we, we feel that this pattern of racketeering element is what makes this RICO statute so unique. This is the core of the statute. And that conduct or participating in a pattern of racketeering is what brings one within the scope of this statute. 
and we feel that the government is seeking to circumvent this core requirement in the statute. In, instructive on this issue, again, uh, is the legislative history of the statute where the principal sponsor of the bill pointed out that even to come within the proscription of, of uh, Title IX of the Organized Crime Control Act, which is RICO, and which contains a conspiracy provision, to even come within its prohibition, the individual has to commit the crimes, the predicate acts. And if he doesn't do it, then he's simply not within the scope of well, the Well, now, at common law, suppose somebody's accused of uh, a conspiracy to commit robbery. Yes, ma'am. Now, uh, I suppose that you don't have to find that the defendant agreed to personally commit the robbery. That's not the common law definition of conspiracy. You just have to agree that the offense will be committed. The government doesn't have to prove I think it depends. That the defendant intended to personally do it. Justice O'Connor, I think it, it varies from statute to statute, crime to crime, as to what the specific intent is. And in some instances, uh, you probably do. I know that the government has cited the Pinkerton case. Uh, that has been rejected in the context of, of uh, RICO. But regardless, the, the argument of whether you who, bring. Who, who, who has rejected it in the context of RICO? Uh, it has been rejected by the government's own decisions in, for example, the Neapolitan case, where uh, it, it held against our position, but they discussed the idea of whether uh, Pinkerton would apply in the RICO conspiracy context and the and court. The, the well, court, what court was, it was the Neapolitan? It was the Seventh Circuit, Your Honor. And, and in addition, in that discussion, they pointed out that the Department of Justice manual indicates that Pinkerton should not be used in, in this context. Additionally, if we get into the, the, the question of traditional conspiracy law, which rules do we import from traditional conspiracy law into what is admittedly a new and drastic statute? I think if we look, like, for example, in the Pinkerton case, it talks about uh, an agreement that if, you, if the substantive statute requires an agreement of, of two people or more, then you can't have a conspiracy violation. That is traditional conspiracy law. Mr. Enriquez, yes. this question puzzles me. I thought one of the aims of RICO was to get after organized crime, including the top people. And the top people may plan, agree to, but ordinarily don't themselves perform the predicate acts. They don't engage in the robberies, the murders, and the rest. So it, it would not seem... A, a logical reading uh, just to say that, that it has to be the, you have to agree to do the act instead of that the act will be done. Justice Ginsburg, I would suggest to the court that that is a logical reading because if you can't get them under RICO substantive, how can you get them under RICO conspiracy? And, and so I think uh, under RICO substantive, this court has instructed us that uh, in the Reeves versus Ernst v. Young case. Uh, that in order to be within RICO, it's not simply enough to be somehow associated with the enterprise, but rather you've got to participate by management or control of the enterprise. And so it, in, in your hypothetical, if they can't get you for RICO substantive, then I think it may be fair that they can't get you for uh, RICO conspiracy. Uh, and as a practical matter, in the cases uh, 
that that are charged below, I, I've, I've never seen a case where they don't charge RICO substantive and RICO conspiracy also anyway. You can, you the can reason get. you have to be a manager is, is because the, the statute requires that you participate directly or indirectly in the conduct of such enterprises' affairs. That's it's correct. The word conduct that, uh, that brings in that requirement, not, not any uh, — uh, any any implication that you're not liable for the acts of co-conspirators? Uh, yes, Your Honor, but that, but that again that that is true, uh, but again that incorporates some pretty stunning language in the Pinkerton case. The Pinkerton case being, of course, where someone was charged with a conspiracy and they proved a conspiracy, but because somebody else committed a substantive crime, he was also charged and found guilty of that substantive crime under the partnership of crime theory. And and that's been highly criticized and, and criticized even by the cases that, that support the government's position. But the government doesn't need that part of the Pinkerton case here. It seems to me it, it just needs what, what you apparently agree with the common law idea, that if you agree that a robbery should be committed, the agreement doesn't have to provide for you personally committing the robbery. Uh, As I indicated, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, I I think that it depends on a crime-to-crime basis. I don't think that across the board... Well, how about robbery? Take that for a crime. Well, I think it's a specific intent, and you have to agree uh, that that a robbery is going to be committed and you've got to do something in furtherance of it. Uh, drug but, crime. But are, are, you, are you saying that you would have to personally commit the robbery in a situation like that? No, I, I think agree to commit elements of the robbery, yes. Uh, if it pleases the Court, I would like to reserve my remaining time for rebuttal. Very well, Mr. Enriquez. Mr. Wolfson, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, uh, the first statute before the Court, the bribery offense, which is stated in Section 666, uh, specifies four elements. First, the defendant must be an agent of an entity that receives federal benefits. Second, the federal benefits uh, received by that entity must exceed $10,000 in a one-year period. Uh, Third, during that one-year period, uh, the defendant must accept something of value intending to be influenced in a transaction of the entity. And fourth, the transaction must involve something of value. What was the transaction? The transaction in this case was allowing, con- was allowing conjugal visits. Uh, that was the theory on which the case was submitted to the jury. The jury instruction is found on page 127 of the joint appendix. And the judge says, uh, now what, says, now what are the transactions? The transactions are allowing contact visits, I, sh- I should say. And the Court of Appeals uh, basically took the same uh, the same view. If I took a bribe for uh, for uh, allowing the prisoner to open his window, would uh, would opening the window be a transaction? I think that uh, if the it could be. I think that if the if the person who is taking the bribe is uh, a jail guard who you know, it, I think I think you'd have to say that. Yeah. I think you're using transaction in a, in, a, in a broad sense that I really don't recognize. I, I do think the that word well, really has to me a. a, a you know, a flavor of a deal between two people. Well, uh, me business first, does. Let me first say this is not a point that's discussed in the briefs, but I, I have no, to I say, know that. whatever it, as a transaction, it can't be limited to a deal because I do think that the uh, statute does, whatever else it does get at, and I know that's been a subject of disagreement, it does get at situations where 
a recipient of federal funds just simply hands out money to other, other people without something necessarily in exchange, a kind of a grant program. And I think in many cases in that situation, other, the, say the government gives money to a local agency in turn to hand out money, the local agency won't be getting a, won't be getting a deal for it. But, but cl I think clearly one thing that is within the statute is if someone bribes a, uh, an agent of a local agency, you know, to send, send the grant money my way uh, rather than to somebody else. I think so. Mr. Wilson, on Justice Scalia's example of opening the window, it would have to be worth $5,000 that uh, worked uh, to the market value of opening windows. That, that's right. And, <laughs> and it, if it was letting him out in the, <laughs> right. out in the open in the yeah. public right. park uh, every yeah, Thursday, Friday, right. Saturday, instead of right. staying in prison, that would be the same kind of yeah. transaction as opening the window, and it might right. be worth a little more. I, I, I think that's right. And, I think and you think that helps you? I mean, right. the, 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 the I, notion that we have to place a dollar value on such things is opening a window or having a visit from, from your wife. I mean, the, I, I can place $5,000 on most business transactions. I, I can place a monetary limit on it. But, but the interpretation you're giving the statute makes you say, how much is it worth to open a window? That's ridiculous. I, well, people I, don't write statutes that way. I think that, well, the... Why shouldn't the transaction be the housing of federal prisoners? I well, mean, that looked like the most normal reading of it. What's the matter with that? I think and, I, and I might add on that very same point that that's the way I think your indictment is better interpreted. Well, I think that the, I think that the business of the jail could have been the ongoing housing of federal prisoners. But here, the pro I mean, I think... Well, now, it seems to me, uh, under Justice O'Connor's question, it's either one or the other. It's either the federal program of prisoners or the conjugal visits. And, and you can say it could be one or the other because the statute doesn't permit you to read it one way or the other. Well, the so case which was is certainly it? submitted to the jury on the theory that what the transaction... What is the government's position as to what the transaction is in this case? Allowing the conjugal visits. All right. So then you're saying that the statute can't be interpreted, as Justice O'Connor suggested, so that the business or transaction is the program of, of, of keeping the prisoners? I, I think it can't be applied that way in this case because the, the statute requires a payment from the bribor, you know, Intending to be in most cases, it would make a lot more sense. The title of the statute is theft or bribery concerning programs receiving federal money. That's why Congress wanted to enact this. They don't want to support some program that's being corruptly administered. I, I think that the case. I think that certainly one could have tried this case on the theory that the ongoing treatment of the prisoner. You know, if the prisoner received just generally day-to-day -day more favorable treatment than somebody else and, and gave money in return for that, that that could have been a business, which is the, the conditions under which the prisoner was housed. The $5,000 has to be given in connection with. Now, by in connection with, I assume, don't you take that to mean in payment for? I, there, I think there Otherwise, is the statute has a wild breadth to yes. it. I think there is an element of exchange. Of exchange. Yes. And, and he's not exchanging $5,000 for the whole business of the prison, That's housing right. federal prisoners. But I, but, I, but I don't think that the payment, I don't think that the transaction... He's exchanging it for the window, for the opening of the window, or for the conjugal visit. At, at any rate, I, I do want to point out Mr. that the Wilson, issue maybe, of transaction maybe, is not... Maybe free. this would okay. clarify it, what the, it when the government says it's the conjugal visit. Suppose Beltran was a state prisoner, would you say the statute still applied because there is federal funding to help in the construction, there's federal funding to house prisoners?
this prisoner happens to be a state prisoner, but there is a there is a, a sheriff or an assistant that is taking bribes. Would the statute, in on your reading, cover this case if Beltran had been a state and not a federal prisoner? Yes, it, it would, as, if, because the. Uh, the, all of the four elements of the offense are, are stated in the hypothetical. And because the, tr- because the transaction is that there's a previous federal grant to no, the no, prison? No, no. The, the, transa- the transaction is, so let's suppose there was a what's state. The, what's the federal grant transaction that's the involved in, grant, in Justice Ginsburg's hypothetical? The, the federal transaction, you have told me, is the conjugal visit, and, which is not, is not related to the federal grant. Well, the federal, the federal government is giving, on the, I, would, I, I hope I'm understanding the hypothetical correctly, the federal government is giving the jail money to house a federal prisoner. Now, it so happens that at, during that one-year period, there is a state prisoner in the jail cell next to Beltran right. who is giving bribes right. in return for the, the privilege of receiving conjugal visits. Right. The statute clearly does cover that, yes. uh, that situation. Because but there you're regarding the transaction is the conjugal visit yes. for which the bribe was paid. Yes, that's right. Um, was there any objection at the trial court to, to the charge on what, tra- what transaction meant? I, I'm not aware of any. But, uh, certainly, uh, certainly that's the way in which the, the, as I read the jury instruction, that's the way in which it was submitted to the jury, and that ha- hasn't been challenged in this court at any rate, and the, the whole point uh, hasn't been uh, briefed at all. Does it help to focus on business? Excuse me. If the statute's primarily aimed at commercial bribery, that's the normal situation. They're selling something or they're buying something, and that's the transaction, the government. That's the heart of the statute. You want to apply it as well to misuse of government property, let's say, that was bought by the government, the federal government. And why doesn't the word business then come into play? I mean, there is no transaction here, but this is bribery in connection with the business of this organization, which is to house prisoners. And moreover, it affects, that that word in connection with is very loose, it affects that business, or $5,000 or more worth of that business, because it's misuse of that property for a period of a year, and the single cell costs 10000 for the year. I, I think it could be, I think it could be applied in that situation. I don't think that the statute covers only a situation where Congress gives an entity money and then sets that entity loose in the world to engage in, with that money, to engage in a commercial transaction. I think that it, it clearly covers, uh, it clearly covers broader. Well, it seems uh, to me that you the, the Justice statute. Department of Business, Mr. Wolfson? Excuse me? Do you consider the Justice Department of Business? I think that the business, it could be said that the business of the Justice Department is to is to bring cases, the business it could be itself. said analogously, I think, right. but I wouldn't, that wouldn't be the normal use of business. I don't, it's I don't the, regard it's the federal agencies as being in business. Uh, it is, the, what it says, it, it is the business or transaction of, uh, of, an, of an organization, uh, agency, or government. I'd like to get just one point right. clear. Are, are you saying that under this statute, business transaction or series of transactions can be, depending on the way the government charges in the indictment, either the business of keeping federal prisoners that Justice Breyer asked about, or the conjugal visit? I think it can. I think the business, I think... It seems to me that that is a very strange way to interpret a criminal statute. It seems to me it has to be either one or the other. I think that business, that business could be, could reach, 
that business or transaction could reach different, different points. I mean, business, for example, could reach the broad programmatic, uh, the broad programmatic purpose, such as you know, the, the general business of housing prisoners. Transaction is one implementation of that of that business, such as allowing. Uh, allowing a prisoner to have more privileges than he would normally under the generally applicable rules. There are also situations, I should say, where the courts have held business to cover situations where one local agency is on an intergovernmental entity where, it, where the local agency doesn't have the authority to do something on its own, and they've said, well, uh, and say one entity's representative votes on an intergovernmental board, and they say, well, this is clearly a business because it's, uh, it's engaged in a, you know, in a relationship with another entity. I think. Uh, I'll, I'll just try to clarify. You could have charged and, and convicted the defendants, in your view, in this case, by interpreting transaction in either of these two ways. You had the option to charge, and you would prevail on either interpretation. I, th I don't know that we would have. I think if we had charged, I think we might have charged by saying that he uh, offered a bribe and a bribe was taken in connection with a series of transactions. Uh, but I don't know that we would have charged in connection with a business of the jail. Um, but as I, again, I, this has not been. I, I, we we're bound by the theory which we took in the lower court, which was that the transaction is the is the conjugal is was the contact visits that were allowed because that was basically an exercise of the of the authority or of the discretion of the sheriff and the deputy sheriff of the county who had the whose job it was whose official function it was to decide when and under what circumstances the door of the jail cell would be allowed open so that the a prisoner could be uh, allowed to see his family or, or whatever. And that's how we viewed it. What is your response to Justice Kennedy's? At the end, he said, I think if business, the word business fits pretty uneasily here, and the word transaction also fits pretty uneasily, and it's a criminal statute. I think that, the, I think that there are situations where a word business could apply. I'm not sure that it would apply to the, the treatment. Uh, I think I'm not sure that it would apply to the, to the, the uh, various exercises of discretion in which a prisoner is treated, but uh, I, I think the word transaction clearly does fit it. I, I guess I, I, it doesn't seem to me to be, uh, to be that ambiguous. Of course, none of, none of this leads you to the precise thing that the uh, petitioner here is complaining of, which is the fact that there's no federal money directly involved. Uh, None of this really goes to uh, right. whether it's a business or transaction or not a transaction. It uh, doesn't speak to the question of whether you have to require. And, and how, how is the question presented there, again? Uh, uh, well, the, the, question, the, the question presented is clearly whether there has to be a nexus shown uh, to the treatment of what says what kinds of cases uh, involving state employees are subject to prosecution under 18 U.S.C. 666. But then it goes on to say, do such cases include cases where no federal funds are dispersed or impinged? Right. Now, right. Uh, having said that, I think that the statute, I mean, uh, the statute clearly covers cases like this one where there is a strong federal interest in the integrity of, uh, you know, there is, an, there is an important federal interest in cases like this, I mean, where the, uh, the recipient of the uh, federal funds is housing federal prisoners, is responsible for their 
uh, custody and their safekeeping and uh, is obligated to, uh, to keep them under certain conditions, but also to give them under certain privileges. Well, what, 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 if, what if Congress had simply provided for grants to a lot of state prisons uh, without requiring that they house state prisoners? Now, would this statute still apply with well, federal prisoners? If Congress, I mean, if Congress gave the federal, gave the state or local governments just money to house state prisoners, yes, I think that yeah, the statute right. would still apply. Yes, I, the statute does not require a nexus to the implementation of a federal. Program. Nor does it require any special federal interest. I think that's correct on the terms of the statute. I think, though, that I mean, Congress could, for example, give a local government a. Uh, an unrestricted block grant, uh, sort of a, a revenue-sharing uh, grant and aid program. And I think that uh, Congress could, uh, under the spending clause, Congress could um, have restrictions such as this follow the grants. And, uh, so the, the grants for the next funds. 30 years, any bribery, uh, if, if there's more than $5,000 involved, in conjunction with the ordinary day-to-day -day running of a prison that's been built with federal monies is under this statute? No, the bribe has to, the bribe has to take place during the uh, the one year a one year period surrounding the uh, the receipt of federal benefits, so it's not it's not as though once you get federal once you get ten thousand dollars of federal money, you know, you're on the hook forever. It's it, the statute is well. Subsection B says that the statute applies where the organization, government, or agency gets in any one year period right. benefits. In excess of ten thousand dollars from the right, federal government. One year period is then defined. Uh, this is on page three A of our the appendix in our brief. The term in any one year period means a continuous period that commences no earlier than twelve months before the commission of the offense and ends no later than twelve months after the commission of the offense. So uh, I mean, it has, the bribe has to be roughly uh, contemporaneous with the uh, with the receipt of federal funds. Uh, and the, the, so after the one-year period is over, the agency doesn't uh, get or take. Hey, that doesn't say Jeez. that. I don't. I don't read the one-year period to to impose that requirement. It just describes that's just defines the period in which the ten thousand dollars or more has to be received. It doesn't say anything about when the crime has to be committed. Well, it, um, before the commission of the offense. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, it's oh, the I statute see. is a somewhat of a. Of, a, of an anacrostic. If you if you look at section B, yeah. well, let's <laughs> let me start with section A. Whoever, if the circumstance described in section B exists, yeah. then you have to look at B, yeah. and it says the circumstance referred to in subsection A <laughs> is that the uh, is that the organization received benefits yeah. in any one year period, yeah. and then you go on to D five and says what the term in any one year period means. So, uh, yeah. so although it, that it, is related to the time of the yeah. offense, right? And right. If I read it correctly, uh, you, 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 you can take a bribe, and if you're unfortunate enough that the prison you take the bribe from later, within less than one year after you commit the offense, gets federal money, they got you under the statute. Is that right? You, you are retroactively sucked into the vortex of... I think that is the reading of the statute, yeah. but I think that it... Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> the... Uh, the it, it operates on the. It operates on a prophylactic principle, which is that if, which is that Congress is entitled to uh, insist that any entity to which it gives money be free of significant corruption. And even if that, even if the corrupt act uh, takes place before the money is actually in the hands of the recipient, it, it, you know the 
It's perfectly reasonable from Congress's point of view, uh, you know, but, but I'm not sure it's still reasonable from the poor defendant's point of view. He, he thinks he's stealing the money from, <laughs> from, from an agency that hasn't gotten any federal aid, and all of a sudden, uh, within a year, it gets federal aid. It doesn't seem fair. Well, the, the receipt of federal funds is the, is a, is, was seen by Congress as a jurisdictional as a jur- and has been seen by the courts as a jurisdictional requirement that brings uh, federal authority but There is a simpler it. way that's consistent with the words business transaction. The federal government gives almost everyone, in, you know, not almost everyone, but an awful lot of people money. And many of them are businesses, or many of them that aren't businesses buy things and sell things with the money. And they may, even before they get the money, make contracts that have to do with the money they're going to get. And commercial bribery often involves uh, bribing a selling agent or a purchasing agent in respect to such money and the use thereof. And that would be natural reading of the words. We wouldn't have to struggle with business transaction, etc. So why not read it as a commercial bribery statute, basically, which those words business transaction, etc., seem to uh, suggest. Right. Well, in this, I'm not saying I would. I just want. I mean, in this regard, I do think it is actually useful to remember that the statute was enacted while the Dixon case was, while the Dixon case under 18 U.S.C. 201, while that issue was percolating in the courts. And there were many cases that had been prosecuted under Section 201 that would not fit a commercial bribery uh, situation, where the federal government gave uh, community organizations grants and said to the community organizations, you go out and relieve poverty. Uh, with this money, and uh, and, and have the, different ideas of how to do it. Yes. Well, uh, I, I do want to point out a, there is another. There is a limitation. There is there is a limitation that is in the statute, which is that the, uh, which is that the uh, there are two limitations I do want to point out. Uh, first of all, the um, the defendant has to be an agent of a local organization, and he has to be able to act on behalf of the organization. So it may not be that every single employee of every organization is covered. There is a level of, I think, uh, responsibility, official responsibility that is covered, captured in the term agent. And the other point is that the statute covers, this is in subsection B, benefits under a federal program that covers a variety of forms of federal assistance and the, the the, the legislative history and the courts have, have uh, do point out that there are some purely commercial transactions between the government and, say, somebody who, who the government buys computers from, just uh, without any kind of federal programmatic aspect. I mean, it, it, the government just goes out into the open market and spends $10,000 for uh, fungible equipment. Uh, that's not necessarily benefit. That's not benefits under a federal program or a form of federal assistance. There's a and there's an aspect of the implementation of a federal policy that comes with those uh, words. I, I want to turn at this point to the uh, the other issue before the court, which is the uh, RICO conspiracy issue. Uh, our position our position on that issue, excuse me, is a, is quite straightforward which is that the RICO conspiracy provision follows traditional uh, principles of conspiracy law. And under the traditional principles, uh, the government is not required to prove that the defendant, the conspiracy defendant, uh, agreed personally to commit uh, the offense that is the object of the conspiracy. Uh, the government needs to prove only that the conspirators agreed among themselves uh, that the offense would be committed by one or more of them uh, and that the defendant associated himself with that uh, with that agreement. Uh, nothing in the RICO conspiracy statute 
suggests that Congress intended to uh, depart from this well-settled rule. Uh, Congress used a, really a term of art to conspire when it used that language in Section 1962D. And that term has a settled common law meaning, and there are no indication in the statute that there are any um, additional elements of proof. And I'm not sure that I know of another statute which requires, uh, you know, f- f- multiple acts by the same person. I mean, it can be argued that you cannot conspire to violate C unless you conspire to have a person. It may not have, may not be the person you're prosecuting. Right, right. But you have to conspire to have one particular person commit a pattern of, of racketeering activity. I think that may be right. That is, let's say a, a group of people get together and say, you know, we want to have a, 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 a conspiracy of com- some kind. It may be that the conspirators must foresee that a person carry out, a, one person carry out two predicate acts of racketeering. Right, of course. Right. Two people could carry out four or three carry out six or, yes. or whatever. Yes. Um, but I think that the, That's not the argument right. here, though. No, but I think that the — but what is, I think it is important to point out, as I think with my, Justice Ginsburg's colloquy with my colleague pointed out, one thing RICO clearly was intended to get at was the, the person who sits at the top of the organization who effectively insulates himself. And to, to use sort of the, that classic example, suppose — the, uh, the middle people in the organizations go to the top, the, the organized crime chieftain, and they say, you know, we really want to get into the business of arson, and we, we you know, we have a plan, you know, we're going to start burning down buildings for, you know, for, for hire. And the head of the organization says, you know, that sounds good, you know, do you have any particular plans in mind? They say, no, but, you know, we think we've got it. I think that in that situation, you know, it falls squarely within the, the coverage of the statute. And by agreeing to that, I mean, the, the chief has really, you know, has really allowed the, allowed the thing to go forward, and his agreement is, is essential in that case uh, to, the, uh, to the achievement of the, of the enterprise, which has the necessary uh, structure. Uh, as the plan is presented, them, there's clearly is a pattern because there's the continuity plus relationship, and the, the, uh, the, the requirement is satisfied that there be two predicate acts of racketeering. By a person. By a person, right. A person. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think under the, uh, the rule that is suggested by the defendants, really the, uh, it would hamper uh, the government's ability to, to effectively prosecute racketeering. If there's nothing further, I'd just like to close by uh, saying we would submit that the uh, judgment of the Court of Appeal should be affirmed. Thank you, Mr. Wolfson. Mr. Enriquez, you have five minutes remaining. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, um, uh, it, the discussion uh, that General Wilson uh, engaged in with this Court concerning RICO conspiracy, the, the great debates that went on in Congress concerning the enaction of this statute, the legislative history, all of that was directed to RICO substantive. RICO substantive itself is directed to the heads of the enterprises, the people to manage or control. Ernst, uh, Rees versus Ernst and Young indicates that, that that's the idea. So it, it just doesn't seem unfair that if you can't get them under RICO substantive, that there's apparently a great discussion in the legislative history that, that would indicate, well, we, we can get them under RICO conspiracy. The, the focus here is what is the object of the conspiracy? 
And the object of conspiracy, in our view, is not simply to join an enterprise that, that operates in that fashion, but to, uh, to personally agree to commit to specific acts of racketeering. That's what the whole discussion in the legislative history was about, not limited to RICO substantive or RICO conspiracy, just to when the statute would or would not apply. Uh, I would suggest to the Court, uh, concerning both of these statutes, Section 666 and, and the RICO statute, that there are certain areas of government which historically this Court has indicated to us under the Constitution have been deemed within the province or primarily within the province of states. For example, education, domestic relations, state officials, and criminal law. This case has two of those areas, state officials and criminal law. And it has been established in the context of state officials that before it can be said that Congress intended to reach their conduct or regulate their conduct or affect their status or qualifications as state officers, it must be clear that the uh, officers, under the circumstances of the case, are within the scope of the statute, and that's the clear statement rule. Unless, under that rule, unless the officers are clearly within the scope of the statute, they're not. And even if they are arguably... Mr. Enriquez, the statute here says whoever being an agent of a state, local, or Indian tribe. So there's no doubt that Congress meant to include those, those persons, is there? Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, that is correct. The question is under the circumstances of the case. For so you example, say we must read each clause in the Act with, with that in mind, even though it was clear that Congress intended to include state officials? Yes, because all, all of a sudden we have a situation here where Congress is indicating that it wants to work upon or, or effect state officials. And when, you, when that happens, then it becomes an issue of federalism, and it's, uh, I feel, to be determined under those rules. Are you suggesting there's a Tenth Amendment issue? Yes, ma'am, I do. This is that, that it would be unconstitutional for the federal government to say, now, when we give our money to state operators, we want that agency in all of its parts to be clean, because if there's bribery going on with the state program, the, there's the risk that the same offices that are dishonest reg, uh, with regard to the state program are going to be dishonest with regard to the federal program. I, I think the federal government can do that, ma'am, if, if it is couched in terms of protecting its property or if it's couched in another jurisdictional element such as it affects interstate commerce or one of the jurisdictional well, elements. What's wrong with federal money? That seems to be a big federal peg. We're giving you federal money. Yes, ma'am. Make conditions on it. And I understand that, that the, the government's position on this is that it's under the spending clause and that by virtue of spending they can go ahead and regulate. But I, I think this goes beyond the cases that they've cited. None of the cases that they have cited on this regulation issue are criminal law cases. All of the cases that they have cited uh, speak in terms of, of conditions uh, or, or incentives uh, to the states. None of them speak in terms of, of something as coercive as we're going to put your, your officials in jail. Uh, so uh, I, I think when you get to that point, then we run into a spending clause problem. It doesn't seek to justify itself under the terms of, of the Commerce Clause, and so I think it does exceed the scope of the Constitution as applied in this case. Did you make that argument somewhere else along the line, or did you just do that? No, ma'am. I, I, I did make that argument. The government has, in fact, tried to uh, 
No, justify you made that argument in the lower courts? Yeah, um, I, I don't know that we argued it in terms of Commerce Clause, but we argued it in terms of property of the government, that this was a protection of property statute and, and that it could be just it could be justified only on that The Tenth Amendment argument that you're presenting to us now, did yes, you make that in the lower court? We didn't specifically come out and say Tenth Amendment here. Thank you, Mr. Enriquez. The case is submitted. Thank you.